You've often heard me say that the Bible can be offensive. Well, tonight, some of you might get offended. I just want to warn you, it's not me. It's not my intent to offend you. And if the scripture offends you, well, so be it. Sometimes we all need a spiritual spanking and it does us good. And this evening, we will see Jesus tackle a subject that still permeates our society and our culture today. Once again, the Pharisees will seek to trip him up. They'll try to force him to take a side. They'll try to pin him back in a corner as they bring up the topic of divorce. And I find it ironic that here we are the Thursday night before the marriage conference, which is on Saturday, and tonight's topic is divorce. I don't think I could have planned it that way if I wanted to, but the Lord has a way of working those things out. Now, I do know that uh, divorce is part of our culture. It's, been in, it's touched many of our lives in many different ways. Some of us ourselves have been divorced. Some of our parents have been divorced. At the very least, you know somebody close to you that has gone through a divorce. So it's something that is certainly that we can relate to. And even back in the first century, even back at the time of Christ, divorce was prominent in the culture, and it was a hot topic. Religious leaders, they were divided on it. In his answer to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, we will see that Jesus stands on the word of God. He'll refer back to the scriptures and to the first marriage which was established by God and ultimately say what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now I'll pause for a moment and say to the guys that it were the discipleship meeting last night, there it was. That's what I was talking to you about. You, heard, you just heard the, a quick little summary of it. Now, picking back up into our message, if you weren't at the men's discipleship, sorry, you missed it, but don't miss it next month. All right. How blessed are we to have this book, to have these scriptures, to be able to gather as a group of believers, to study these promises and these principles and these commands that God has given us. And we're so blessed that we have, most of us have multiple Bibles at home. I have many copies of the Bible. Uh, back in that day, it was all verbal. There was no copies like we have today, but we have copies after copies after copies. Now pick up with me in chapter 19, verse 1, follow along as I read. We're going to look at the first couple of verses, and then we'll talk about them. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Jesus is leaving the region of Galilee. The Galilee was up to the north of Jerusalem. It's around the Sea of Galilee. He will not be returning there. This is his last goodbye until after the resurrection. He's heading to Jerusalem from there, and he crosses over the Jordan to the east side. He'll make his way down the Jordan Valley, down along the Jordan-Israeli border through the Jordan Valley, uh, through the West Bank, which it is today, now today. The Jordan River divides Jordan and Israel right over there. Uh, you can drive along a road there in the Jordan Valley and, and that would have followed the, the mountain ranges that he would have come in between there. It goes right down there through the West Bank. And this was not his first trip to Jerusalem. There's many trips that he's made up to Jerusalem, and as usual, great multitudes are following him. They're following him. They're, they're checking after him. They're, they're walking along with him, and he's doing what? He's healing them like he always does. He's meeting their needs. This lets us know that Jesus' power and his popularity was not just limited to the region of Galilee. People all over the area had heard about him. They've, they've all heard about it. Everybody's coming out to see him, and he's meeting all of their needs. And then there in verse 3, it says the Pharisees 
also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? First, we must point out that the Pharisees were not just seeking an honest answer to a difficult question. No, they were trying to test him. They were trying to trip him up. They wanted to put him in a corner. He wanted, they, what they were trying to force him to do is choose sides. You could put it another way, whose side are you on? Because in that day, there were two prominent rabbis that essentially divided the Jews into two groups. Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai, we would call him a more conservative, but he was a little less popular. And Rabbi Hillel was, a, was more liberal, so to speak, and more popular. And when I say liberal and conservative, the, the difference wasn't as vast as we would think of a liberal and a conservative today. It was just they had differences of opinions on certain things. Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai often disagreed on areas. Within the Talmud alone, they debated 316 issues. And as you can imagine, because the topic here tonight is divorce, one of those issues that they disagreed on was divorce. You see, Rabbi Hillel held a very popular and rather liberal view of divorce. He believed a husband could divorce his wife for any reason at all. Whatever reason he wanted to, he could just, for whatever reason, he could divorce his wife and there was nothing that she could do about it. And Rabbi Shammai was a little less popular. He was very strict. You could call him a little more conservative. He held that a man could only divorce his wife for sexual immorality. So they're coming to Jesus and they're asking him, basically, whose side are you on? At one time, I've got to give you a little bit of picture of what's going on politically within the Hebrew culture at that time. At one time, Rabbi Hillel served as the president of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members. It was what kind of ruled the Jewish culture. He was the president. He was 60 uh, years, uh, he, 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 Rabbi Hillel was about 60 years older than Rabbi Shammai, so he was much older than him. Um, as after Rabbi Hillel passed away, Rabbi Shammai, who was the vice president of the Sanhedrin, he stepped up to become the president. Later on down the line, after Shammai passed away, a guy by the name of Gamaliel stepped up to become the president of the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel became the, sub, the, the president there. This transition between Rabbi uh, Shammai and Gamaliel happened in about 30 AD, okay, right around the time that Christ was crucified. So historically, we're talking about a, a transition of power, if you will. And on a side note, if you remember back from Acts chapter 22, Paul had stated I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. So Paul's mentor, if you will, is now on the seat or in the presidency of the Sanhedrin. Paul was also known as a Pharisee. Paul was a student of Gamaliel. I can't help but wonder if Paul was ever one of the Pharisees who came to confront Christ. We don't know that for sure. But certainly we could surmise that it might have happened that way. So with the division in mind, with the Apostle Paul, perhaps he's the one that brings this to Christ. Perhaps he's the one that comes and says, hey, which, which, you know, tell us about divorce. Answer this question for us. Can, we get divorced? Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Perhaps he's the one that confronts Jesus on the issue. But notice their question specifically. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? In other words, whose side are you on? 
Hillel says yes, but Shammai says no, only for sexual immorality. I find it interesting, as we kind of dig a little bit into the history and the culture, both Hillel and Shammai agreed on something. Divorce was allowed. It was okay. What they disagreed on was the reason for it. The reason for believing the divorce was allowed came from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, just listen. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says this, When a man takes a wife and he marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and that uncleanness is going to be a key word, he's found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. You see, they both interpret this scripture as allowing divorce. But they differ, where their differences come in, what does that word uncleanness mean? The beautiful thing here is Jesus is interpreting what that word means in this scripture. In this passage, he's going to tell them what it means. You see, the school of Shammai, the rabbi of Shammai, they said that word uncleanness, it means sexual immorality. That's what it means. That's the only valid reason for a divorce. On the other side. Like I already mentioned, the school of Hillel, or the house of Hillel, as it was called, Rabbi Hillel, he understood to me that uncleanness meant any sort of indiscretion, literally anything. And he even went on to write that making a bad meal, she doesn't, you don't like what she cooked for you, that's grounds for divorce. He also indicated that a man could divorce his wife if she spoke to other men in the street, if she didn't do her hair the right way for just about any reason at all. And people were behind this. He was the more popular view. What did that do for the value of a woman? What did that say about her? Another less significant rabbi, he even went on to say that a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman that he liked better. If he found someone who was more beautiful in his eyes, that would be a legitimate reason. But you see, I love how Jesus refers back to the scriptures. And when he does, he does it to straighten them out, to answer their question, to cast light on what that un word uncleanness means. But he also does it to give women value and marriage credibility. He doesn't want to diminish a woman to a piece of property that a man can discard when he's done with her. He wants to give her value. He wants to give marriage credibility as an institution that he established that is supposed to endure the test of time. Look at verse 4 as he answers them. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. He begins his answer by saying, have you not read? Don't you know what the scripture says? Today we would say, don't you know what the Bible says? Have you not read what the Bible says? And so often I hear people misquote the Bible. The truth is most people don't know what the Bible says. They know what they heard some pastor somewhere say about the Bible. Somehow they interpret it into their mind. They want to regurgitate it back to you to say what they think it says. But the truth is most of the time I talk to people, they have no idea what the Bible says. Where does it say that? I don't know. It says it somewhere. No, you shouldn't be allowed to quote the Bible if you can't say where it says or turn to it quickly. At least Google it. 
and find out if you don't know exactly the, the address for it. But he goes back to what the Bible says. Have you not read? He goes back to the first marriage that was established by God. He goes back to Adam and Eve. You know what he did? He bypassed Hillel. He bypassed Shema. I don't care what those guys say. I care what God says. How many times has a church been derailed because they're following the argument of a man when they should be following the scriptures that God wrote? I can think of many doctrines that have gotten the church off track in that way. He goes right back to what the Bible says, back to the scriptures, back to what Moses wrote. Adam Clark said this, by answering the question, not from Shammai or Hillel, but from Moses, our blessed Lord defeated their malice and confounded their devices. When you look there, what's written? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It clearly indicates that divorce was not only inadvisable, it was not only wrong, it was completely impossible. Let not, man can't separate it. Not the man that's involved in it can't separate it. It's, it let, man can't do it. Let not man separate it. This is God's institution. God's making this. Men, men and women are only participants, and we're obligated to do this underneath of God's rules, God's law, the way he established it. If we don't do it the way he established it, we certainly can't, give us, we can't expect the results that he would give us. You see, divorce must never be seen as an available option when looking for a spouse. Too many people have gotten married with the idea in mind, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get someone else. If it doesn't work out, I'll just find someone else. You see, divorce should not be an option in your mindset. If you're single tonight and you hope to get married someday, don't ever pursue somebody with divorce as an option. If you have to say that, it's the wrong person. I can tell you right now it's the wrong person. Before Rebecca and I were married, we made a commitment to never get divorced. We even went through, well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? We made a commitment to never get divorced. We made a commitment to never talk about it. As a matter of fact, we removed it from our vocabulary. It wasn't an option. There's no, it's not on the table. It doesn't matter how bad things get. And it's been tested in our relationship, especially early on. But it's, been t it's, it's something that we decided. It's, it's not available as a choice to be made. Therefore, it's not there. There's no threatening. There's no, well, if it doesn't work out, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? When problems arise, and they do arise in every marriage, don't they? Divorce should not be an option. It should not be something that you can turn to. A solution or a compromise will be reached if it's not an option. Do you know why? Because you have to reside with this person forever or you'll be miserable. It'll be in your best benefit to work it out. Now let me explain to you real quick why I kind of said that divorce, it really is impossible. It really is impossible. The idea behind the phrase, the two shall become one flesh, it certainly includes the sexual union between a man and a woman. One commentator put it this way, he said they're glued together. It has the idea of, of gluing things, to, gluing two people together. It, it glues them together. When a man is sexually united with the woman and a woman with the man, no matter how many previous partners either one of them have had, there is a part of each person that's given over to the other. You become part of each other. It's like if you took two pieces of paper, you glued them together, you stuck them together, and then pull them apart. When you pull them apart, you're going to have part of this one on this one, you're going to have part of this one on the other one. 
There, there's part of the person that goes with it. It's, it happens. It, you can't control it. You can say, no, I'm not going to let it happen. It doesn't matter. It happens. You can say, well, I, I, I don't want it to happen. You, you can't control it. That's just what happens. That's why God gave it to a husband and a wife to bond them together. If sexual intimacy is the glue that the Lord has given a husband and a wife to join themselves together, and he's given both men and women a desire for it, why would we run around gluing ourselves to anything and everybody we could? Why would you ever want to glue yourself to somebody except the one that God has made specifically for you? You see, as a Christian, I know the Lord has somebody special for every single person, if it's his desire that you get married. Now, there are some, and we'll talk about that later, that, that it, they don't get married, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that either. But if it's your desire to get married and you want to get married, God gave you that desire. That's, you were born with that. He has somebody for you. He's, he's got somebody in mind. Please understand something else. When it says the two shall become one flesh, that's just the beginning. The sexual intimacy is the beginning part. But it's designed to go far beyond that. That's just the, the beginning part. Marriage is given not that two people should do one thing together, but they should do all things together. It's not just one. It's that, that's the part that, that bonds it. That's the part that connects it. That's the part that a husband and wife do that nobody else is, that they, do, they don't do with anybody else. It's supposed to be the part that they share just between them. And if we understand our Creator's position on divorce, and we understand our Creator's position on sexual intimacy, I would like to think we would be pretty particular about who we become intimate with, and especially who we marry. You see, it's not a light decision. It's not an easy decision, especially if divorce is not an option. You're stuck with them. Think about it. You're stuck with them. When it comes time, if you're single and you go, I'm looking for someone, I'm looking. Be careful that you pick the right one. Don't pick the first one that comes along. Make sure you've got the one the Lord has for you. Make sure it's the one that he, he set aside for you, that he's created you to be with, that he's made two parts. He wants to bring them together in completion. Make sure it's the right one. Don't just settle for something, especially if divorce is not an option. You have no choice but to work it out. Sadly, I've attended too many weddings where I've watched them exchange vows, where they have said, till death do us part, and I knew sitting right there in that wedding, this won't last. You've all been there. You know it. I've done it many, now I've never done a wedding like that because I would refuse to. I've never, I've never performed a wedding like that, proceeded over one. But I've sat in the audience of weddings with friends of mine, and I said, this will not work. I know, I know both of them. It's just not going to work. And in most cases, when I've felt that or thought that, I've been correct. It's been a matter of time before the marriage breaks up. As Christians, we have to realize marriage is under attack. We must beware. Our culture is trying to take what the Lord has given us as a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. It's a gift from God. Sexual intimacy is between a husband and a wife is a blessing. It's a gift from God. Our culture is trying to redefine what's right and wrong. Our culture is trying to change it. They're rejecting the commands of the Lord. They're trying to go against the author of marriage. No wonder so many marriages are falling apart. No wonder it's not working out. If you don't believe there's an all-out attack on, on, on marriage and the relationship between a husband and a wife, you're living under a rock. You know, I mean, just in the last 10 years, we've seen the definition of marriage change in our culture. 
We've seen it happen, and it's advertising bubbles over with sexual imagery. The marriage relationship has already been redefined. You're hard-pressed to find a dating couple living a pure lifestyle and waiting until they get married. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying you're hard-pressed to find one, even among Christians, sadly. Pornography is on the rise. It's redefining, or shall I say warping, what men and women believe to be normal sexual experience because they're watching it on a TV screen or a computer screen. But here's the beauty. While the culture is saying this, that, and the other thing, if we'll reject the culture, no matter how far we've gone in the culture, because I'd be willing to venture most of us started out in the culture. Most of us have been deceived by the culture. We've been duped by the culture. We've made the mistakes the culture wants us to make. But here's the beautiful thing. If you'll reject the culture, and you'll start following the Lord's plan. He'll restore all that's been eaten away. He'll restore all the years the locusts have eaten away. He'll restore the things that have been lost. He'll help build the marriage if, it, if you're married. If you're single, he'll honor your decision and he'll bring you the right person when it's the, t- it's the time. The words joined together. I like it. It means they were yoked together. The same way you would yoke two oxen pulling a plow. Each one must pull equally. They've each got their own thing to do. Many years ago when they were, when they were newly married couple, they'd actually put a yoke upon their shoulders. They'd actually do it. They would say, you're being joined together. You're being yoked together. They'd put chains upon their arms to show they were one. They were closely united. And they were to pull equally together through all the concerns in life. They were to stand one next to the other. Not only were they united at marriage, they became one. And that process of becoming one lasted their entire lifetime. They grew and they built upon it. I am here tonight to tell you that I have been married to my wife, I should know this, like 21 years, honey? 22? Something like that. And I can tell you that I love her more today than the day that we met. My love has changed over those years. But we grow closer and closer and closer and closer together. It's, it's an amazing thing as you reject the world and you start doing things God's way. He's able to do things, but it requires both people willing to do it that way. Not only... Are we united at marriage, we become one. Now, please understand something. If you're married, if you're married here tonight and marriage is kind of rough, please take divorce off the table. Please, it shouldn't even be an option for you. It, it shouldn't even be something you consider. It shouldn't be there. If you're single, please don't look to settle just for any spouse. Serve the Lord. Prepare yourself so when the right person comes along, the one the Lord brings, you'll be ready and prepared for them. There's no need, this is my opinion, take it for what you want. Stay off the dating sites. Christian Mingle is probably the guy's name. It's probably not even a Christian site. (laughs) How do you know? And besides, if you are following the Lord, trust him to bring the right person at the right time. And you might even go, well, I'm not sure. I'm not, listen. He created you the way that he made you for a purpose and for a reason. And he's got your other half out there. And if you're a he, she's getting prepared. If you're a she, he's getting prepared. You keep serving him and eventually you'll come together and the Lord will do amazing things there. Now let's look at Jesus. Look at their reaction to Jesus' answer. Verse 7, they said to him, because remember he went past the two rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shemit. He went right to Moses. They said to him there in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? 
You see, they understood Jesus was saying you shouldn't get divorced. They understood exactly what he was saying. Their question says, well, then why did Moses say that we should give her a certificate of divorce and put her away? You see, the Pharisees made a mistake here. They made a mistake. They made the mistake, and they thought that God had commanded divorce, that God was saying it was okay. And please understand something. Just because the Bible mentions things like divorce or slavery doesn't mean the Bible is commanding them or even supporting them. He's just giving us principles because our hard hearts and our sinful lifestyles are doing them anyways. Look how Jesus responds to them when they ask about Moses, verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Divorce is never a command by God. Even in the case of sexual immorality, it's not a command, but it is permitted as a response to man's sinfulness. It's permitted. Why did he tell us there? Because of the hardness of your heart. Because the human heart is hard. Sometimes the hearts of a husband or a wife can be so hard that they are not willing to do what needs to be done to reconcile the relationship. They're not willing to take the steps. They're not willing to forgive. They're not willing to humble themselves and ask for forgiveness or admit wrong. They're not willing to change. And we can understand how in the, in the, in the, in the, in the face of adultery, that could be difficult. God says, I will help you if you will, but if you won't, I will grant you that divorce that you seek. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, here's what's designed to happen. Don't ever get divorced, ever. But since your heart is so hard, and since your heart is so sinful, you've made what I'm asking you to do unobtainable because you can't get past yourself, because you can't get past your own heart. Then he gives them the reason. He says, Jesus lists the reason when divorce is allowed. Sexual immorality. Again, please remember Please understand it's not required, it's allowed. The Lord says, I will allow a divorce for this reason. Essentially, Jesus is interpreting that word that we talked about in Deuteronomy as the word of uncleanness from Deuteronomy. He's telling them what it means. He said sexual immorality. It's not just something the husband doesn't like. It's not because he doesn't like your cooking, because he doesn't like the way your hair is doing, your hair is done today, or for whatever reason, it's for sexual immorality. Now, the word for sexual immorality. In the Greek, that word is pornea. It's where we get our English word pornography from. Pornea means sexual immorality. Pornography means it's on video or on pictures. In its most basic form, it refers to lying with a prostitute. But it was well accepted in that day, and even in the understanding and interpretations today, that it's a very broad term. It covers the entire range of sexual sins. You could be guilty of pornea without actually having consummated a physical act of adultery. So it would include all kinds of sexual immorality. It's, it's a very broad word. It would be kind of, when we say sexual immorality, that's a good translation of it. All kinds of sexual immorality, not just one particular sin. And I must refer 
or I must let you know there is also one other biblical reason for divorce. It's not mentioned here. It's called abandonment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, Paul says, If the unbeliever departs, let him, and this would be her or her, depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. In other words, if, some, if, you, have a, if you have a couple and a, a husband or wife is, is a Christian, the unbeliever is not, or one of the couples abandons the other one, that's also a biblical reason for divorce. But with the exception of sexual immorality and abandonment, and abandonment there are no other biblical reasons given for divorce. None. But I understand what you think. Wait, wait, wait. What if there's domestic violence? What if my spouse is an addict? What if he's not or she's not meeting my needs? No, these might be, some of these might be reasons for separation, for safety purposes, for safety reasons, or to try to get an addict to come back to Christ. But they're not biblical grounds for divorce. You go, well, that's not what some other pastor told me. Read it for yourself. See it for yourself. By room. Remaining married. By remaining married, even while we're separated, Paul told us that your behavior might be the very thing that leads your spouse to Christ. One commentator explained it this way. He said, a Christian couple may in fact split up for reasons that do not justify a biblical divorce. It may be because of a misguided sense of spirituality. It may be because of general, general unhappiness, which I hate that, by the way. I'm just not happy anymore. Or conflict, or abuse, or misery, addiction, or poverty. Paul recognizes without encouraging that one might depart in such circumstances, but they cannot consider themselves divorced with the right to remarry because their marriage had not split up for reasons that justify a biblical divorce. In other words, if you divorce for any reason other than adultery or abandonment, and you do marry again, Jesus said you have committed adultery. Why? Because you're still married in the eyes of God. The court might say you're not married, but you're still married in the eyes of God. Since their old marriage was never dissolved on biblical grounds, it would still stand. It would still be valid in the eyes of God. Before you consider, ever consider a divorce for non-biblical reasons, please remember that as a Christian who wants to follow the Lord, if you choose to separate... You must stay single because you're married, you're still married in God's eyes. Unless it's for sexual immorality or abandonment. In other words, one abandonment means one spouse has left the other spouse, perhaps remarried, and there's no possibility of reconciliation there. So here's the question that I always get. This is the one that I, I get constantly. Every time I teach on this, I get it. If I got divorced and years ago, and maybe it wasn't for sexual immorality. Maybe it wasn't for abandonment. Things just didn't work out. And now I'm remarried. Now I've got a new husband or a new wife. Am I somehow committing adultery every day with them or every time we're together with them? And the simple answer to that question is no. But let me try to explain it. If you're married to your second wife or whatever after wrongfully divorcing your first and then you become a Christian. In other words, you weren't a Christian, you become a Christian. All things are made new. Those sins are forgiven. That's not a problem with that. I don't think you need to think about leaving your second wife and making yourself available for your first wife. You can't undo the past. Your sins have been forgiven. Yes, there still could be a sin of adultery, but it doesn't mean it's been forgiven. 
On the other hand, if you're married to your second wife after wrongfully divorcing your first wife, and say you were both Christians at the time you got married, and perhaps even both Christians at the time you got divorced, am I still, is it still considered adultery? Yes, that's what the Bible says. It's still considered adultery if it's not for one of those biblical reasons. That's, that's clear. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't change what it says. But I can tell you Jesus died on the cross for your sins, no matter what they might be. The only sin that can't be forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I know in our culture there's many people that have been divorced for non-biblical reasons that are now on their second marriage or perhaps their third or whatever it might be. And you say, Am I, what do I do? Keep serving the Lord. God doesn't want you to get divorced again. God doesn't want you to break things up. You, you know, if, if, if in fact it was adultery and Jesus here is indicating it is, that's fine. You're forgiven for that. It's not like every time that we're, we hold hands we're committing adultery again. That, that's, not, that's not what he's saying at all. Where it hurts is we have to then admit the fact that we're an adulterer. But then didn't he also say that if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery? You see, we like to sugarcoat sin. We like to make it sound not so bad. We don't want someone to say, well, I got divorced and the, and the lawyer, the law, the judge said I could, and now I got remarried. You have no right to call it adultery. I'm not. He is. I'm just teaching you what it says. But I'm also not neglecting the fact to say, that's why you need a savior. That's why, we, that's why we realize we are so undone, that we are so, we, we, we can't, we, we need a Savior because we've all made mistakes and fallen short. The truth is, if you want to be honest, everybody in here that's looked at someone and lusted has committed adultery. Jesus has said that. How do we do that? What do we do with that? You repent and you believe on Jesus Christ. He forgives your sins. That's what it works. If you're in a marriage, if it's your second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, don't think about divorce. Take it off the table this time and keep serving him every day that you have left. Don't look backwards. Satan's the one that wants to drag you backwards. He's the one that tells you that you're not a very good Christian. He's the one that wants to say this and wants to say that. But at some point, you've got to go, I'm going to live my life the way the Bible says. So now, from now on, divorce is not in my vocabulary. You know what? And even if something, even if she leaves or he leaves, I'm still not going to divorce or I'm going to wait. Or even if there's sexual immorality, I'm still not going to divorce. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see what God does. I want to bring glory to him. You have that choice. You have that option. And I can personally tell you that we look and often say, people will say, well, no, if there's sexual immorality, I could never stay with that. I know many marriages that have been healed of that. Many, many marriages the Lord has touched where, where, where both men and women have been willing to forgive and repent, and the Lord has brought them back together and healed them and grown them closer than ever before. Is it easy? No. Is there consequences? You better believe it. Is it painful? Yes, it is. But the, our God can redeem that which is lost. He can take that which is hurt, that which is destroyed, that which is broken down, and he can build it back up if you're willing to turn to him and let him do it. The only reason divorce is necessary is the hardness of your heart but if you're willing to say lord would you make my heart soft would you make it more pliable would you show me where i need to change don't you think that he will you see when we study a scripture like this it's always controversial because everybody gets offended because i told you divorce has touched every part of our lives but please don't elevate divorce and sin and then diminish the cross Okay? If divorce and sin is here, if adultery is here, the cross is here, capable of covering it all, which makes our victory in Christ so much sweeter that he could take someone like us who makes mistakes and he says, I can still redeem you. You just repent. You come to me. You ask for forgiveness. It's gone. And what does he say about our sins? He's going to make them as far as the east is from the west. And what does he say? I'm going to choose to remember them no more. 
He's not thinking about it any longer. He's not thinking about it. So if, you've, if you're that person, well, I've been divorced for the wrong reasons, and now I'm remarried, he's not thinking about that. You are. Don't think about it. You focus on being with the, with the wife or the husband that you're with tonight for all eternity. Take divorce off the table, and you serve him together. Isn't that an amazing God that would do that? Why would he do this? What, what's, what's the story with this? Why doesn't he want us to get divorced? Why does Malachi chapter 2.16 tell us that God hates divorce? Because you know how much pain it causes. If you've been through it, if you've walked with somebody through it, you know the pain. Whose house are we going to for Christmas dinner? How are we going to divide the kids up? Who's going to help pay the bills? I don't think there are, if any, divorces out there that are unpainful. Because when a husband and a wife are married and they're joined together, that part of them stays with them forever. It doesn't, you, you, you can't do, you, no matter how long ago it was, no matter how far back in your past it was, it's still there. They're still part of you. And you can't disregard that. But what a beautiful thing the Lord says, I'm going to take that from you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to forgive that sin. And I'm going to help you walk faithfully with me every day if you'll just do it. Don't get stuck in the past. We've all made mistakes. And tonight it happens to be we're talking about divorce. But there's many, many other sins that we've all fulfilled in the same role. Maybe you're here tonight and you go, well, I haven't, I'm not, I've never been divorced. Cool, good for you. But there's other sins in your life that, Lord, that you need forgiveness for. You know, it's just, it's just don't, don't get, this is just where we are tonight. Don't, don't get too caught up in that. But the reason God says, don't do it, I hate it, is because he realizes the pain it brings upon his people. Can't you agree with me that divorce brings pain, suffering, problems, brings difficulty, it brings hardship, it brings hurt. It's hard. <clears throat> they understood the disciples understood exactly what he was saying. Look at verse 10. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Because, Lord, if this is the case, it's better if we don't get married. They understood exactly what he was saying, and it was hard. It was a commitment they shouldn't take lightly. Look how he answers them in verse 11. He said to them, not everybody or all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Some men and some women are, are able to spend their entire life serving the Lord. For those that are not married and have no interest in getting married, do it. Stay single. Serve the Lord. Paul would also would, would, would allude to the fact that being married is a hindrance. You now have a family. You have someone else you have to worry about. When you're single, you can go to serve the Lord anytime you want. You don't have to worry about anybody but you. And if you can go do whatever you want. There, there's no concern. You don't have to worry about dinner. You know, if you don't have dogs at home, you don't have to go home for a week and no one's going to know the difference. But if you're married, whether you're a husband or a wife, you've got to be concerned about your spouse. Maybe she's sick, or maybe he's sick. Maybe he's not able. Maybe she's not able. Whatever the case is, there's another person concerned there. Paul confirmed this with his lifestyle. He wasn't married, or it may have been he was married because he had to be married to be a member of the Sanhedrin, and it's possible that his wife left him after he turned to Christ. We don't know the story on there, but certainly the, the scriptures would indicate that he was married based on his position in the Sanhedrin. But yet after that, 
There's no mention of a spouse. He went from town to town and place to place and he shared the gospel. And then he wrote, he wrote this, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. It's good if you remain unmarried. But if you cannot exercise self-control, let him marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In other words, if you're able to stay single, stay single and dedicate your life to serving the Lord. Don't dedicate it to yourself. Don't, don't, don't be, now I can do whatever I want to do. Dedicate your life to serving him. If you're single, hoping to get married, dedicate your life to serving him. And the person that's going to help you do that for the rest of your life will come along in that process. It's real simple. Now, I also have to tell you, whenever I teach on divorce, I get all kinds of questions afterwards. And that's okay. I like that. I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. Because here's what I've learned. It's a very touchy subject. And there's no two circumstances that are the same. I can't possibly run through all of these scenarios. And people want to know, well, what exactly is abandonment? You know, if, if my husband left me and then uh, I met somebody else and, and I got remarried, he left me, is that abandonment? Listen, that's between you and the Lord. You've got to figure that out between you and him. All I know is if you're wrong, he wants to forgive you. But you have to let him forgive you. You know, I mean, people have asked me, well, if I get divorced, you know, my husband left me. When am I free to marry somebody else? When he's, when he marries again, then, then, then he's, he's left you and there's no hope of reconciliation at that point. But if there's a hope of reconciliation, hang out. Maybe God will do something miraculous. Maybe he'll do something wonderful. Well, I don't like my marriage. Can I leave? Well, there might be a reason for separation. I think domestic violence and, and unsafe things and, and even addiction can be a reason for separating in a marriage, but it's not a biblical reason for divorce. Well, what if I got it for that reason? Listen, here's what I know, and here's the part that we can never forget. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room. Maybe in divorce, maybe in some other form of sexual immorality, maybe in lying, maybe in stealing, maybe in attitude, maybe in whatever it might be. We've all fallen short in some way. We all have the same human need of a Savior. And that Savior comes along and he says, I want to forgive you. I want to forgive you. I want to, I want to put it away. I want to do away with it. I want to put it on the side, on the back. I don't ever want to remember it again. I don't want you to remember it again either. I want, I want, once you're forgiven, I want you to move forward on this. The truth is there's some mistakes in life you can't go back and fix. Don't you know that? There's some mistakes that you're going to make, if you haven't already, that you have no ability to go back and change. Don't let them creep into your mind every day. Turn them over to the Lord. Repent if you need to repent and move forward walking with him. If there's a consequence, that's, that's the way it goes. There's a consequence to deal with it. But once you give it to him, you've got to move on. Move past it. Move through it. Don't keep dwelling on it. You see, people will often ask me, they'll say, I have things that are being brought up from my past that are making me feel guilty. I have things that are being brought up. What do I do with them? And my answer is usually the same. Is considering these things drawing you closer to God or is it pushing you further away? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, as you consider what's coming into your mind from your past, does it bring you to a place of repentance? Does it bring you to a place of, Lord, forgive me. I am undone. I need a savior. I said, if it does, it's probably a good thing. 
because you're realizing something. But if it's bringing you to a place of guilt and shame, it's nothing more than the enemy trying to throw the past up in your face. If it's bringing you to a place of where I'm guilty, I'm not worthy, I can't go to church anymore, I've made too many mistakes, please know that's not the Lord. That's the enemy. He wants you to feel that way. He wants you to feel guilty that you're not worthy, that you don't belong among the Christian people, that you, you, no, one's, no one else is as bad as you are. He wants you to feel that way. It's the Lord that says, you know what? There's something in there that i got to deal with, so we have to talk about it. But it's going to bring you closer to me. It's gonna, there's something that you've been carrying for a long time, and we need to deal with it. Tonight's the night, or now's the time, or this is the moment. And all I want you to do is repent so that I can forgive you for it. All I want you to do is, I want you to turn it over to me and let it go once and for all. You see, that's the thing that brings us closer to God because it brings us to a place of worship. Lord, how could you forgive somebody like me? How could you do that? How, I, I'm not worthy of that. And he says, I'm going to forgive you. I love you so much that I'm going to forgive you. Make sure you ask yourself this question. As I travel through the past, is it drawing me closer to the Lord or is it pushing me further away? If it's drawing you closer, he might have you there for a season dealing with something in your heart. If it's pushing you away from the Lord and keeping you away from God's people, then it's not the Lord at all. It's Satan trying to throw you the past. And anytime Satan throws the past up in your, in your face, you know what you do, don't you? You remind him of his future. You remind him of his future, where he's headed. He's headed to the lake of fire, right? We're headed to all eternity with him. Because fortunately, we don't stand on our own righteousness. We stand on his righteousness, his death on the cross. He said, I'll take that sin upon me. So even if you stand here tonight or you sit here tonight and you go, you know what, I'm guilty of this. I, this, I'm guilty of this. Know that the day that he went to the cross, he said, I'll take care of that. You don't have to, no, no, you're not, you, you might be guilty, but I've already paid the price. The sentence is over, it's paid for. You don't need to bear it. It's done, it's taken care of. I handled that on the cross, Christ would say, not me, him. Christ would say, I took care of that. I paid for that sin on the cross. I knew it would happen. I knew it was going to be there, but I'm going to take care of it for you. What a savior we have. And it's not just for divorce. Please understand it extends to every single sin in our life. Divorce just happens to be the topic tonight. God hates it. He doesn't want it. He allows it for two reasons, for sexual immorality and for abandonment. Any other reason is not a biblical reason. If you've done it for any other reason, Forgiveness is still at hand. Once you're a Christian, you're saved, you're forgiven. Past, present, and future sins. And sometimes it gets brought up. Sometimes we have to cover it in the scriptures. And I told you when we started, it can be offensive. But hopefully, the gift and the blessing of salvation covers any offense you might have or any mistake that you might have made. Let's pray. Father, I know that in our culture, divorce has intersected all of our lives at some point in some way and I know that it can be a thing of guilt and shame I know for even many of us it might have been some mistake that we made but Lord as we recognize and admit our own mistakes we see your grace we see your salvation we see your blessing we see your righteousness that you love us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our failures, that you went to the cross and you bore that price so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be reconciled to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, and I pray tonight that if there's a marriage here that's thinking about divorce, the option would be removed. Instead, they would turn to you and allow you to lift up 
their arms, lift up their marriage, and soften those hard hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here that's been through divorce, we know it's difficult. We know it can be hard. Would you heal the wounds? Uh, They can last forever, and they can always come open easily. But would you heal them? Lord, would you take this message and would you use it to draw people closer to you? In Jesus' name, amen.